What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hey, Look, Listen. I, of course, am Owner Reardon, and joining me today is one of two people, Liam Sheehan. Hello. How are you? Good. Very good. How are you, Owen? I'm very, very well. Of course, usually we, there would be three of us around this virtual roundtable, but today we are missing Jonathan Marcy. John, get well soon. We know <laughs> that you're you're getting through it at your own pace. Um, oh, my God. What's that hopefully, mean? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> we will have Marcy back on the show again for a Marcy special. He, of course, brings some much needed levity to this very dour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dour we're so podcast. downtrodden the whole time, aren't we? I, just, I keep talking about my divorce. <laughs> oh my god, um, Liam! As we always start this show, maybe ninety percent of the time, um, yeah. we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks. So, tell me what you're playing. You know, I, last time I talked about what, what was it? I talked about Pokemon and Monster Hunter because those are the two things I wanted to talk about. But I actually, in talking about those, I skipped something I had played just after Christmas, and it's actually kind of ties in to what we're like something we're talking about today because there's that Naughty Dog connection. And I don't know if I need to bring this up, but I actually own something I've wanted to do for a year and a half now. I did the Last of Us saga again. I did the last of us one. I did the last of us one. Me? Yeah, no, no, I didn't. I was going to bring it up last time we recorded, but then I was like, oh, I want to talk about Pokemon. I want to talk about it. And I edited that episode, and I think it might be the longest we've ever talked about the games we played. So I didn't want to like add <laughs> add another <laughs> one onto it. But I did them all. I did, uh, yeah, last of us one, left behind, and last of us two, because ever since I finished last of us two, I wanted to do it as the complete saga. Mm-hmm. And I like I don't have much to say other than like other than like hey everyone listen to it. we did two episodes on the last of us honestly my opinions hasn't really changed other than um, playing them back to back makes me even more appreciative of the gameplay of Uncharted two or <laughs> of the Last of Us two um, the like Last of Us one plays super well but the gameplay of Last of Us two like the combat the stealth is excellent isn't it it's it's so yeah. superb. No, and like they, ju- they, there's definitely an added level of mobility to to the the combat in in particular that is superb. Yeah, and I tried to play it a little. I, I'm very kind of like in games like that. I sneak around. I kind of you know choke enemies out and goes and systematically goes to the next one until I fuck up. I actually tried to play a little bit more aggressively this time. And I, what I think Unch- I keep calling it Uncharted. I have I have Tom Holland's Uncharted on my brain. <laughs> 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 but um, no, what 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 I really love about that, this combat of Last of Us Two is um how quickly I almost prefer rather than like doing something perfectly, I prefer fucking up almost. How quickly you kind of have to make um like um split hair decisions. How quickly mm-hmm. you kind of like, you fuck up and you might and they're after you and but how 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 well the game accommodates you going from action back to stealth. You know the kind of you know mad dash run through the whole area you're fighting and in the long grass and uh, it's so exhilarating. And uh, yeah, I again watch those two episodes, but I just have to kind of reiterate that I like am very much pro The Last of Us Part Two. I think it's an excellent game. We talked about the narrative all the time um, last and, and those episodes, but I just I think the gameplay is fantastic. And I've seen we talked about it, I've seen people say that it's like a day like it came out in twenty twenty, but it's a dated game. And I'm like, no way! It's so good. It's one of the best yeah, action no. games ever made. Like, I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. And um, yeah, no, Liam, I just wanted to shout out um an underappreciated gem that might uh be considered left behind itself which is left behind um and that is the last of us um dlc and i actually very very rarely um go for the dlc offering but i I of course am you know unbashedly a super fan of that uh last of us series and i think it's it sits around like five or six hours if um, even if even even, yeah. yeah 
Um, I think I, I think I did it in one sitting when I when I got it. Um, and a, a real layered addition to that universe and to that story. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, I I actually feel like in the Last of Us discourse, if um, if you haven't played it and you've played Last of Us one and two, you got to get in there. It's yeah. very very good. And half of it is a prequel to The Last of Us 1 and half of it is set during. So I see some debates online of when you should play it. And if anyone has any kind of um, worry about that, uh, it's, for me, there's no question. You play it after Last of Us 1. You play it between the two games because it's perfect bridge for Ellie's character because mm-hmm. it kind of expands her character and kind of... And, and now that Last of Us 2 exists and we know where that story goes, I actually think Left Behind is even better to kind of see the full arc of that character. And, and But if people think because half of it's a prequel, maybe they should do it first, don't. It's supposed to kind of highlight things you, you didn't know, like c- certain details you didn't know about Ellie and stuff like that. It's fantastic. It's really, really story-driven, um, even more than the other ones. Because you know all the, 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 the part of that that's set in the, the mall where, you're, where the she's mall, fucking yeah. around with Riley. There's no real combat in that. It's just all kind of interactive storytelling with those two exactly. kind of like, bonding during a day before everything goes to shit. But yeah, quickly, another Naughty Dog connection. Um, there's a sale on in PlayStation Store at the moment, and I found for five fifty Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy, oh. and I was like, I haven't played that in about ten years. It's actually about one. It's actually one of the games I've probably played more than any because in my like child, well, child to teenage years, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, I used to just play it like habitually. It used to be one of my chill out games. I used to just come home from school and just put it on, and I finish it in like two sittings or some of that in one day because it's really short. But I haven't played it in about a decade, so it's it's fun um, revisiting it. It's not as good as I remember. But it is one of the better Mario 64 kind of clones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Naughty Dog, yeah. Naughty Dog was at the forefront of brilliant like graphics and animation. And it like for a PS2 game that's 20 years old, it looks great. The characters are super well animated. Um, and I love Jack's movement in it. He's like, he's like there's a weight to him. Like it, it's far above a lot of um, platformers of his time in terms of control, but it's actually just not quite as good as I remembered. You did you play it back in the day? Was that one of yours? I played one, I played one of them. Um, yeah, I forget. They, I forget which one it was, but I, it was just. Uh, I think. I think it was the first one. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting franchise for that time because it's it, it actually kind of is completely emblematic of the change of the tone of video games at the time because it, the first mm-hmm. one was a platformer in the vein of Mario sixty four, in the vein of Banjo Kazooie, in the vein of Spyro the Dragon type thing, and then by the time the second one came out, the kind of um, what was in vogue, what was popular in games had changed. So Jack Two is a Grand Theft Auto clone. So it's it's kind of perfect. Yeah. It's kind of perfect in that kind of in that uh, era to kind of really kind of show the kind of passage of time and games. It's it's really interesting that way. Exactly. So I have been playing a game that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time, which is uh, Horizon Forbidden West. It's the big release, man. Big, uh, do, first, and the first you know big twenty twenty two game, I'd say. A big, uh, yeah, first big twenty twenty two game, and, and arguably the first real. Um, showcase for what the PlayStation 5 right. is. I'm seeing a lot of noise and chatter about this online, um, which is surprising. Um, Sony are really, really putting some money behind this um, in terms of getting it into the public persona. I, I, I trailer for it played in the cinema before I watched Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg's Uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of marketing behind this, clearly. Yeah, so I'm, I got it. Um, I think it's the first game I ever preloaded onto my any console, actually. Um, and, you know, for people who don't know what that is, uh, Liam, I will teach you because it could save you a lot of time. Oh, I, I, is... did it before. I did it before. I did it with the Final Fantasy VII remake. 
it is uh, the console gives you the ability to <laughs> already download the game prior to release, so it's actually readily available. Yeah, and you to, just sit there to you. And you just sit there and you wish you could play it, but you can't. Exactly. <laughs> but, but you know what? One thing it's super great because one of my biggest gripes with modern day consoles is the fact that you buy a new game, if especially if you get a hard copy, and then you gotta go home and download a thirty gigabyte patch. Yeah, yeah for, for that sure. game. Yeah, so many steps. Um, so I'm about seven and a half to eight hours uh, into Horizon. I think I've only had I've had like two sit downs uh, with it. It is a more of the same, and mm-hmm. it is, but it is more refined and Good. with some real quality of quality of life uh, enhancements. Um, you know, I I saw someone tweet yesterday, and it's it's very true. Actually, you can defeat and finish Resident Evil 8 Village in the time that it t- takes to get to the Forbidden West open world. <laughs> in, <the> title. <laughs> yeah, in Horizon. Yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, it took me about six hours to actually get to where the game opens up. Right. And that was pretty similar to the first one, right? When you're going through your trials and it's it's far more handholdy in terms of learning the mechanics. Um, you know, uh, I think off the bat, it's a showcase for playstation 5 this thing is fucking gorgeous it's stunning yeah it is it is stunning it's one of those things when it's in motion it's it's not necessary so i'm playing it on um forgot god what do they call it? it's like quality mode so essentially it's four you know it's 4k 30 frames rather than performance mode which is uh 60 frames but 1080p mm-hmm. and you'd notice the difference um massively so it's it's one of the first games that i've played where i've favored the quality mode and 4k over the performance usually i like the the smoother game but it's not until you i've never really used photo modes in games before i'm kind of the same i'm with you there yeah they're they're but, very popular dude this is the one game where i like stop and i'm just like take photos look i'm not even taking photos it's like it's just you know the ability to just zoom in check everything out um you know you're talking like you know bordering some photorealistic um wildlife in the game and i don't mean the the dinosaur monster machines it's like the foxes and the boars and the squirrels and these things like it is absolutely stunning um it's you know i was a big fan of um horizon one mm-hmm. i hear, heard the complaints about you know the the last act kind of dragging on a small bit and i think that's a bit of just open world fatigue um but the biggest compliment that i can give uh give this game to be honest is that if you like it's very game of thrones-esque in terms of that it's very faction and politically intertwined between clans and tribes and families um and cities if that's your cup of tea then what that actually does for all of the side quests in the games is it makes them very, very interesting. Anyway, so, so I like hearing that for a big open world game, that the side quests are good. That's like a really important aspect, I think. Yeah, so it's like, you know, there's only so much you can do with a side quest. Like, I, you know, from a gameplay mechanic, it's, you know, you're either going to fight this person or going to fight that person, but it's the purpose and reason behind why you're actually doing it. And I would easily say, and I know... I know uh, our good friend Marcy will appreciate this is easily the best side quests since uh, the Witcher tree, like cool. easily of what I've played. Um, 
every everything that I've encountered so far has to do with the ingrained history of all of these clans and the political intrigue um, and, you know, the, the, the previous wars that they've had, etc. So it doesn't just um, feel like bloat. It feels, it feels worthwhile. It doesn't feel like just they're trying to pad the time. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. The, you know, but with that comes, if you're not into that kind of stuff, you um, could skip it. I, and you could skip it and you could beeline the main story, which is, you know, it's still super interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying my time. I will probably this will probably be the game that I sink sixty to eighty hours into this year. Cool. It's uh, you know, it'll it'll take up a, a lot of my time, but it's one of those things. It's like I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife last night, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was very good, but all the while while I was watching it, I was thinking about like, oh, but I could be putting two hours into yeah. it. I love when games get that. I, I, I like I, I, even when you're doing important things. That's not watching watching Ghostbusters. When you're doing any other thing, you're just like, oh god, I wish I was playing that game. Right now. I know that's I know. truly something special. Exactly, but of course, Liam, Uncharted is on the minds today, <laughs> as well as another video game to movie adaptation that both of us saw recently, mm-hmm. um, which is the Resident Evil movie. Welcome to Raccoon City. I we believe said, why not get subtitle. them both done? Why not get them both done in one episode? Another another chance to talk about video game movie adaptations, and they're both new. They're both franchises that we both love. Let's just do it. I paid money for both of them. I feel like less of a person. <laughs> I paid money oh, to God. Cinema for Uncharted, and I actually paid for fucking I, I, Resident Evil on Apple because uh, I have three months free trial on that. But I went on and I was like, oh, you still have to pay for shit? Because <laughs> 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 it's all connected to like... Uh, the, uh, whatever. the extra vision of the online store so well, of course i'm putting money the, into this podcast man <laughs> I'm putting yeah. money into it. and of course we are getting nothing out of it <laughs> um so neither of us know actually our, our real thoughts we've kind of nope, kept we a haven't bit talked radio, about it at all yeah we've kept a bit radio silent so um uncharted liam um mm-hmm. of course we have done i think it was two episodes no we did, did we one, do one we did two on the last of us one on uncharted we packed it all in all four yeah games so one. you know it goes without saying that we are big fans of the the video game franchise um oh, indeed what did we think of tom holland and mark Wahlberg's uncharted oh man i i feel like you know, there's some franchises, you know, that we both love, but I'm the bigger Zelda fan, even though you love it. You're the bigger Uncharted fan, even though I love it, man. You got to I'm going to make you dive back in. I'm throwing it back at you. Go on, man. Oh, man, you were you were the one who kept bringing this fucking movie up in every episode we recorded. What did you finally think of it? Go on. Um, <laughs> I, it was a steaming hot pile of trash. Oh, shit. That bad? Yeah. <laughs> I was... Um, so I saw it in IMAX on Friday evening. Um, Very good. And Liam, you're you're not wrong. I uh, you know I am a Uncharted um, super fan. I have a soft spot for I, I would say like a lot of subpar kind of B movie video game movie. I've probably seen the most out of out of the the Hey Look Listen group, arguably. And I've been following the production of this movie for the last. Um, 12 to 15 years. I was about to say, yeah, it must be something written more than a decade, yeah. Mark Wahlberg um, was poised to play Nathan Drake and he aged out of the role by the, t- uh, by the time this movie went into production properly. Like, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. He played the mentor instead, yeah. Yeah, so it was originally um, filmmaker David O. Russell, who was famous Which was for so random, yeah. Silver Lining Playbook, uh, American Hustle, uh, the fighter he did with uh, Mark Wahlberg as well. So I, I believe... I, yes, you do. Um, I believe I believe he was the first um, director to be attached to it, like 
post first uh, movie. And then for the last 15 years, it went through Neil Berger, Seth Gordon, Sean Levy, Dan Trachtenberg, and Travis Knight, who I would have loved to seen his version uh, of it until it came to uh, Mr. Studio Man, um, Robin Fleischer, I think I want to, I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. who directed um, Zombieland 1 and 2, and I really liked Zombieland, uh, the first one. And, Me too. Uh, Me too. And of course, he directed the completely uh, paint by numbers uh, Tom Hardy movie, Venom. Oh, did he? I did not know that. <laughs> I can't believe I, I I can't believe I get if I ever looked at filmmakers kind of um over, <laughs> I'd be like, uh, well, Venom is better than Uncharted, at least. <laughs> That's something I can say. <laughs> at least Venom is more uh, the Uncharted is not as interesting as his previous work, Venom. Venom, exactly. <laughs> uh, look, Liam, I this was a it was a movie that I sat through where me too. <laughs> um, I audibly turns to the person uh, beside me and either said something smart or laughed or used the washroom for an extended period of time during uh, during the movie because I was just so bored. Boring. Uh, I'm glad yeah. you said that because I was actually about halfway through because we were planning on doing um, a movie episode and Uncharted was basically the centerpiece we were doing this and about a quarter of the way in i got really worried because i was like i don't know if i'll have any solid opinion to talk about about this movie because it's really boring <laughs> and it's and you were just talking about watching old b movies and old video bad video game movies like you know like, like the Ubol movies like house of the dead and blood rain uncharted is worse than that because it hits that that really annoying place of what's worse than bad it's bland you know, yep. bland is always worse than straight out bad. But luckily, as Uncharted continued, Uncharted the movie continued to roll on. I was like, "This is not only bland; this is also super dumb." And dumb yes. is fun. The dumb is fun to talk about. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> the dumb is fun. To- Did you know that it's already grossed one hundred and thirty-nine million dollars well. worldwide? Making you know, it the I, fifth. Went to, I went to see it in, um, I went to see it by myself. My girlfriend would not go. She was like, I have zero interest in that movie. She's never played the game. She um, is ambivalent towards Tom Holland and is, will not go see a Mark Wahlberg movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but so she's an like, Antonio Banderas super fan. I, I, didn't, she, I didn't even know Antonio Banderas was in it before I sat down to watch him. And I was like, <laughs> I was like that's, that's, that's good at least. But um, let me tell you, I just wanted to say, um, you say it's doing well because in the screen I was in, do you know what the biggest demographic of people in the screen was? And this was opening night, opening, it was like opening Friday evening. Um, teenage girls. It was full of Swedish teenage girls. So I'm wondering, like, is it making the money off? But didn't you, know, you see it in Ireland? No, I'm in Sweden. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you confused me. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to say that in the, the Limerick Omniplex with a bunch of uh, Swedish tourists. <laughs> This is no, the sexiest screening I've ever been in. I'm wondering, rather than Uncharted or video game fans or Indiana Jones fans or action movie fans, is it Tom Holland fans now that post Spider-Man star has risen so high that's given this movie its money? You are you're 100 correct. Hmm. Um, you know the this is you're correct in saying that this is the Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg Uncharted. This is <laughs> not. The, un- the uncharted video <laughs> it's not the uncharted video game adaptation yes I get, I get what you're saying yeah okay so you know but before i get into the horrendous uh 
potential of that. Actually I don't hate it as much as way. you. Can I just say that straight away? I, I don't. I don't think it's any way good. But I'm not seething with fury or anything like that, like you are. I just want to compare and contrast at the moment. Yeah. So the um, you know, the, this actually started with Tom Holland going in for a pitch meeting, mm-hmm. and what he actually he pitched to Sony, and he obviously has that really good relationship um with them now because of the massive massive success of of spider-man um he pitched a young james bond movie and he wanted to do like a james bond jr type um type of espionage kind of movie and they were like no we fucking hate that idea but (laughs) why don't we make a young nathan (laughs) drake story yeah um and that's actually how all of this uh came about and you know I think to to address the elephant in the room before even you know a camera starts rolling, um, whoever cast this movie, it's a, I, it just has to be a super interesting process, right? Because Nathan Drake's is is a man, and Tom <laughs> he's <not> Holland, a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Holland is uh, he's a boy. You know, for the Holland, unit- he's twenty five now, man. I feel like we can't really say. We, I feel like we're kind of punching him, punching down there. He is a man, but yeah, he's not suited, is he? There's something no. he's going to play a type of role for the rest of his life, I think, because he just has that boyish quality to him. Exactly. Yeah, he, you're completely correct. He's, <laughs> but Nathan Drake also has you know a certain level of stature and a certain level of grittiness with his funness, right? So I think for the uninitiated who haven't played, um played the Uncharted games, or even listened to our Uncharted episodes. You know, please do. Uncharted really is, uh, yes, of course, please do. Um, you know, Uncharted really is the game based on the Indiana Jones Vibe. movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like, so now we have Indiana Jones, which has kind of turned into a video game, and now we have a movie that's based on the video game that's based on the movie, right? So, you know, you think Harrison Ford or, you know, before he shot to, you know, stardom, you know, a Chris Pratt kind of embodies that level of playfulness, but also has a level of grittiness and manliness that I think, you know, Nathan Drake has as a as a character as well, as well as having that softness. I'm going to poo poo Pratt because I don't really like him, but also because he kind of played that character in Jurassic World, and I think he was really miscast. Yeah. I actually don't think he could do it. I think Star-Lord is the perfect kind of role for him, yes. kind of doofus. He tried to play that kind of classic kind of manly man hero. It didn't really work in Jurassic World at all. He just he felt, he felt really disingenuous. But um, a young Nathan Fillion <laughs> would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> the, the fan's choice, uh, of yeah. course, is I'm gonna I'm gonna you know show my my TV chops here. Um, Castles TV TV's Castles. Uh, <laughs> Nathan Fillion. That's um, all the nerds love him for. Exactly. Um, oh, you know he he would have made a a fantastic choice, kind of based on his you know his Firefly character, um, with, with, is obviously a real insight into. And inspiration, probably for I probably. think they've come out and said it. Yeah. Um, but look, um, this isn't really an adaptation of Uncharted, is it? It's an adapt. It's a prequel to Uncharted that's not in the same continuity as the games. Is that is that a correct way of saying that? It, like it is and it isn't though, and that's and that's that's why this I think this discussion is interesting because hmm. you know it is a prequel, but where do you then draw the line of where you draw your inspiration from? Because you know they heavily used uncharted 4 and set pieces from uncharted 3 yeah, in this right. movie 
And they, yeah, three and four are actually the biggest kind of um, yep. inspirations, aren't they? Because three has a flashback where you see a young Nathan Drake meeting Sully. Uh, and four has Nathan Drake's brother, Sam, as a big part of it. And one thing I'll say, if, if I was adapting Uncharted as well, one thing I do agree with is bring Sam into the mix straight away. Because as much as I love the Uncharted games, it's very funny in four that it's like, Nathan Drake had a brother all along who's never been talked about. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and here's here's one of my big, you know, problems is, we, you know, we we do a bit more of a deep dive in, into the movie, right? Which is, Sam, I, I actually agree with you, Liam. Um, but, you know, I think Sam was mistreated as a character and he's somewhat, you know, uh, the adventure was the MacGuffin to get to Sam and it turns out that it didn't really fucking matter. No, it didn't. Um, but, you know, Nate and Sam were orphans um, and, you know, Nate's kind of driving, one of his driving characteristics as a character is, you know, he is an orphan who's trying to live up to the Sir Francis Drake family name and kind of prove his greatness. Um, but in, like, essentially in the movie, kind of what happens is it kind of turns out to be a bit more about the the money rather than that <laughs> you know what i mean like it it does it never feels like it never feels like tom holland is and his version of nate is developing as a character to prove really anything except almost to sully that he can do it right and that's and the relationship he has with sully first of all didn't work on any fucking level it's um, both, they're trying to do it as if the whole kind of arc is Nate loses his brother at the beginning. His brother runs off and he's missing his whole life. And it's if, if the, it has emotional heart that it's trying to do is that it's Nate finding a surrogate big brother in Sully is essentially and what they're going for. Therein lies the issue for yeah. for me, right? Which is like Sully in the games, um, and of he's course, more, yeah, he's more like a cantankerous and, uncle, exactly. Or you know, or to a certain degree, even a father figure. Yeah, you know, like as in the, and and you are right; it could be played. Uh, or interpreted like e- either way, but by the end of the movie, essentially Sam, his biological brother, has been replaced by <laughs> Sully. So that that kind of negates the 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 perceived relationship that you know Nate actually had like with his brother, and I think that was a huge huge flaw in all of this because like Nate as a character, you know, in in Uncharted Three during that flashback, um, and like Nate is like. Um, sneaking through the museum and I forget where exactly it was and then he comes across Sully, right? It feels like Sully is the person who leads Nate down this path and who kind of shows him the ropes and who, you know, kind of shows him the ugly side of the business and life. But in this one, fucking Tom Holland is a bartender who just steals on the side who yeah. happens to know all of this kung fu shit and actually <laughs> and actually leads all of the people who are meant to be the best thieves in the world to the treasure yeah and none of that is like earned you know what i yeah. mean <laughs> <laughs> the structure oh. the structure of this movie is bizarre because um I just want to talk. I, I said earlier on dumb. I, w- I want to talk about some dumb moments in it because this is an Indiana Jones movie. But it, it it all kicks off with two crosses, right? I want to I want to 
get right past the crosses. I want to talk about one the, the bit that elicited the biggest emotional reaction out of me because it was just like, what? Remember when they open up, they meet up with another uh, video game uh, character, uh, Chloe Fraser. Uh, the actress was pretty good actually playing her. She was um, she was pretty well cast. But they open up an ancient tomb under a church, very Indiana Jones, right? Oh my god! This oh man, I fucking I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and they open up an, and because uh, they have to use these ancient crosses as keys, and they and they open it up and they're going through this ancient tunnel, and then the tunnel which has it, you're supposed they're supposed to be going down into an ancient tomb. That's what Uncharted is all about. They find ancient tombs, they find ancient cities. The tunnel that they they go to the church it connects to a nightclub. <laughs> they go into a nightclub and then the next clue is in the nightclub what's, what's that about <laughs> couldn't be that ancient it couldn't be this ancient secret tunnel from a church oh that connects God. to a nightclub no, Liam, that's that down the road that entire <laughs> sequence in I think it was Barcelona that they were it's in Barcelona, I, could, yeah. I could be mistaken yeah. no you're um, right yeah yep. that was the laziest piece <laughs> of writing that I've seen in a movie, genuinely, that I've seen in a movie in a long, well, long time. And, you're, needed, and you're correct. They, they needed a you're set com- piece where Nathan Drake could use a callback. So they needed, they needed him to go be a bartender in the nightclub so he can fight some guys while also throwing glasses around. And then someone points, look, Nate, there's another clue on the wall of this nightclub of how to you oh, know, dig know. deeper into this treasure. What? I was like, what and, is going on? And you know what? <laughs> it was like, it was one of the biggest uh, setups for a non-payoff of like a joke. It was like, Tom, uh, you t- sorry, Tom Holland's Nathan Drake. Um, self-admittedly, it's like, uh, I'm not the biggest dancer as Chloe drags him onto the dance floor. And uh, yeah, it turns out that he's actually a pretty good dancer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but like, you're completely correct. And then following on from that from that sequence, and I died laughing in the theater, <laughs> um, was I think they get through that little porthole that's in the back of the bar in, in the nightclub. And... <laughs> Sully is on essentially like ground level up above them. Yeah, the, in the, the mystery city. is there's one in hell. There's a, a one in heaven, one in hell, hell and a clue in heaven. So Sully is looking for a clue on street level, and they're underground in what began as an ancient tomb, but ended up a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going through the fucking irrigation system of Barcelona, and it's like, oh my god, we finally found the entrance. And uh, oh, <laughs> fucking Mark Wahlberg's, it's like, oh my god. I'm right above you. I can see. And they look up and he's just in a fucking manhole cover yeah. above this ancient tomb. It's just a storm drain. Surely someone, <laughs> maybe someone who works in the city's irrigation, would have had to maintain that storm drain at some point. They would have found that ancient tomb. It's way too convenient. The nightclub was convenient. But then the fact when they finally get to the heart of this tomb, uh, Mark Wahlberg was able to communicate them through a grate on street level. It was, it was it just like... It, it's it's a height of nitpicking on, but this movie is trying to be a certain kind of thing, and you need to get these things right. You know, you need to get these. It's all about digging deep into ancient tombs and uncovering <laughs> mysteries in the real world. It's Indiana Jones. It's national treasure. You need to do it right. I'm actually going to bring this up again with Resident Evil because you need to get zombies right. You know, it's just the fundamental thing you need to, you need to get right, and it's just so like annoying. But also, that was it was around this point where I was like, okay, we can do we can definitely do an episode. On this, because I was like, "This isn't just planned. <laughs> this is really stupid, and they've got it so wrong." And you know, so you like you you mentioned the like the third act of the movie, and we'll we'll go back and we'll we'll cover just a, like a couple of the set pieces. But I do I do want to address the you know get the silliness over and done with. Okay. Um, if there was an Oscar for <laughs> best movie shot of the year, 
it's fucking Mark Wahlberg putting his head out of the side of the pirate ship, looking so confused, but with a big smile on his face. I Like a big, happy Beethoven dog. Oh my God. I was like, are you actually serious right now? Like, this is utterly the un- ridiculous. The Uncharted games from the beginning, but more and more as they went on, maybe not four, but in definitely from one, two, and three, it became very much about trying to make these big, ridiculous set pieces. And that's kind of, you know some of the bread and butter of those games and you love uh, the big set pieces. Well, you love them because they're interactive, but that's a whole other thing. But did the game zone ever go quite as dumb as two gigantic galleons being carried by a single helicopter each out of a jungle? They never really went that dumb. As much as like it was capsizing ships and and all that and falling down big bell towers and really cool stuff like that, but they never went quite as like... The suspension, no. of dis- the suspension of disbelief in the Uncharted movie is about 10 times more than the fucking video games. 100%. The biggest, and it's you know pretty cool in the game, and I, we spoke about it when we spoke about Uncharted 3, about the necessity to the story, but as big and as dumb, I think, as the series has ever gotten in the games is the capsizing of the cruise ship yeah. in 3. Mm-hmm. You know, super cool to play. You know, not an essential plot point. They did it obviously because they had some cool tech. Exactly. But that I think that's as you know, arguably as silly as it ever gotten. And you know what? In, in my mind, I was like, okay, you know what? I framed it as they had filmed a they had a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. They probably had spent twenty million dollars on the first two thirds of the movie, and they were like, "Fuck, we need to spend one hundred thirty million dollars. What are we gonna do? Let's do this." That's what, it, like, that's kind of what it felt like to me, you know. And I'm all for, and I'm absolutely all for suspension of disbelief. And yes. you know what? At that at that stage, Liam, I was like, you know what? I didn't enjoy the first two thirds. I thought it was super boring. So at least this is something. Yeah. At least this is something. And because they did, at, they do make use of it there. They're two gigantic ancient pirate galleons and they're in the air being carried by helicopters and they are jumping between them. They're swinging off ropes like pirates. So I was, I'm was i not really kind of pissing on the sequence itself, more just I just wanted to say the games never went that cartoonish. You know? Yeah. And like, you know, I'll, I'm all about suspen- suspension of disbelief. It's, you know, it's my daily mantra. Um, it's an action movie at the end of the day, you know? It, it is. But even at that, you know, there's there's doing things right. And I wasn't, there's two like things that stuck out in my mind, right? And it's, the big one was when uh, Tom Holland's Nathan Drake finally <laughs> get, finally gets his um, his gun clip holster. Right. Yeah, he's, uh, I, and then, I, I, is that, I, is it, I, I, Nathan Drake's an iconic character. Is his gun is holster that? iconic enough? It's not like Link putting on, if they made a Zelda movie, it's not like Link putting on his green tunic or anything like that, you know? Is it exactly. iconic enough to make it a moment? <laughs> and the reason why they are how they made it a moment yeah. was, you know, they had we had been missing the what is, in my opinion, one of the best video game soundtrack pieces and motifs that is yeah, yeah, out the, there. The main theme did not play pretty I, much until I, that moment. I was acutely aware of how it wasn't playing as well, because I thought the soundtrack was no. This is this might be an oxymoron, like noticeably generic. I was like, the soundtrack is like really like bland and bad. Where, why aren't they utilizing the fucking Uncharted theme? And yeah, yeah. And what did you think of the moment Nathan Drake's on one of the galleons that's been held up by, by a helicopter? He finds a gun clip or a gun holster that he puts around his shoulders with a gun, and then the Uncharted theme plays. Earned? Yes or no? Good? No. Yes or no? No, no, no. <laughs> none of this. None of this. None of this. You know, uh, you know, 
when it comes to like the breakdown of action sequences, and I will not harp on about this, right? It's like it's what is happening within that sequence, and the environment kind of moves it forward. But what you're really interested in is you know what is happening between the characters dr- during that during that actual scene, right? So, as in the problem with that entire sequence for me was there was that kind of quote unquote payoff. But they made the sequence far more about we're moving the two ships rather than focusing on the battle that's going in between. And then, you know, the environment should change and has a, have a cause and effect of what's happening with yeah. the people who are actually fighting. But this entire sequence was just watching two boats being dragged along by helicopters for me. You know what I mean? And what do you think, as, as, as dumb and in more suspension of disbelief as necessary... Do you think Naughty Dog could have turned that into a good gameplay sequence, a good a good gameplay set, set piece? I you know? and I I I think one hundred percent because it's a lar- it's a larger scaled version of two set pieces, one that happens in two, one that happens in three, um, which is as you're going up the Himalayas, the jumping between the cars. Yeah, and I think it was trying to replicate that kind of feeling, and then in three. It's when you're riding the horse through the desert and you're doing something similar, very um, Last Crusade-like, I believe that's where the inspiration came from. Um, It was a bigger version of that, but there wasn't, like, there was none of the wow moments. There was none of the, like, the fun moments. There was none of the, and I was surprised at this, and maybe it was something that I just didn't see, Liam, but, like, there was none of the Nace grabbing onto a ledge and having it break off and him having yeah something else to hang on to there was like there was there was like none of the like that nuanced approach to any of the it was a paint by numbers kind of thing you know what i mean they did they did capture a little bit of how nathan drake is constantly messing up like nathan drake jumping on like you said things he grabs always breaks he's always kind of banging off stuff like that bit in the new york auction where he's jumping off the chandeliers or whatever they were the lights hanging lights and stuff like that my like my highlight and mm. like my highlight uh i thought i i thought the plane sequence was good and i won't the, say the anything open, more than uh, that the, the one that's lifted from three with the yeah the cargo although it does be that this movie begins with that sequence and then jumps back and all that sequence was missing was a record scratch and i bet you're wondering how i got here <laughs> hi my name is nathan drake it's so bad it's just, he's falling out of the back of a plane and he gets hit by a car and he's falling through the sky and then it just cuts back to him as a child i was like oh god I, I don't think they needed to begin there to be honest no i think that's uh, like for me that's for the uninitiated um <laughs> which is like set the tone of kind of what this is get straight straight to the action yeah but you know it, it has that you know over the top glossy cgi uh look which i just like i yeah. can't stand um but you know uh it gave a it gave a chance for Holland's to actually do some stuff, make some quips, do you know what kind of what Nathan Drake would do. You know, it's again, it's how the environment it's a good sequence to show like how the environment is interacting with the people around with fucking parachutes of boxes, knocking mm. people out, the car um being driven out, you know, it was all that was, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, but again, it's it's like I turned to the person beside me. I was like, I've played this sequence. Yeah, it was good as a video <laughs> game. Maybe maybe people shouldn't make movies out of video games because the video games are always, good, always better. <laughs> um, I shouldn't lift something directly, at least, you know? Because you, then, yeah. you, then you're literally just painting that picture for the person who's played the game and the movie. All this in your brain is like, this was better as a game. 
exactly and one of my favorite stupid and silly sequences preceded that moment which is where they were on uh uh mark Wahlberg and tom holland were on the they're not nathan drake and sully like they're not nathan drake they're They're tom holland and mark Wahlberg. they were on the air base and man i don't know if you fucking got a kick out of this but it's when they're like um binocular fucking viewing the airplane and they're like we need to get out we need to sneak onto that plane and there's fucking guys walking directly (laughs) they're so near they're not that far away at all (laughs) you wouldn't forgive that in a game if that was in metal gear solid you you go like oh my god they can hear a snake he's so near the guards are so near that box but this is a movie they're just chatting away (laughs) (laughs) and there seems like there was a scene there was there was definitely a scene missing have they got Where into they that actually, boot? Yeah. Yeah. They they somehow, there's, there's a, a car being loaded onto the plane and then 15 minutes later, they come out of that boot. I, I don't know how they got in there. Unless they <laughs> murdered everyone between them and that boot, which would be very uncharted, actually. That would be a good adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, it's, I did not enjoy myself. But yeah, but it, it's insane that in terms of, you know, like that nightclub, I at least I was getting a reaction. I was like, what is going on? In terms of the actual like quips and the jokes, I don't know about you, my cinema was completely silent. I I was in Friday evening, like I said, it was a full screen. It was a, uh, it was re- it did really well. Silence through the whole film, like none of the jokes landed. And I I went to see Eternals in that same cinema, so it it could just be the Swedish, but I went to see Eternals, uh, the Marvel movie, and uh, with a Swedish Swedish crowd, and they were completely silent for that as well. Except there's a bit where. He's like, what's this table made of vibranium? And, oh, the Ikea. And, and then and then he goes, no, it's Ikea, autumn collection. And oh, the Swedes loved it. Oh, they were in hysteria. So like, Ikea, brilliant. <laughs> so it could just be that there was an Ikea reference in Uncharted, but there was n- not one <laughs> laugh in my screen. And I, I, I think personally, I didn't find it funny either, but of note, Mark Wahlberg turned up for a check for this movie. He was so bad in it. I thought he was sleepwalking through the whole movie like, Oh, dude, a hundred percent. And it, yeah. so it may, it makes me wonder, you know, he had been attached to this for like 12 years. <laughs> I'm not, I, and the, I'm not joking about like, um, I wonder if contractually he, he had, had some stake in the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as in he signed on to whatever years ago, I think on this podcast or else you and Ma- you, myself, Marcy were shooting the shit, but I watched a uh, season one of HBO's Wahlburgers or Wall Street which chronicles the life of Mark Wahlberg. I love the way you call him Wahlberger's vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> That's his chain, isn't it? Of restaurants, isn't it? Yeah, his, yeah. his brother's kind of chain, and he helps oh, promote Donnie, it. Donnie, but... or another brother? No, Paul. <laughs> There's another one. Watch out, Baldwins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and in that show, they're talking about going, uh, he, they're traveling to Barcelona or whatever to film it. And he's just, spe- you know, the way he's speaking about the movie instilled no. zero yeah. confidence in me at all yeah gotcha you know, so, he's like, yeah. i've been on this thing for you know for first um I, I can't even do uh i wish i could do a Wahlberg accent um but he he was saying like i've been on, working on it for so long that i started as the young guy but now i'm the old guy yeah. i'm like you're definitely contractually obliged yeah. to be in this movie and it shows he was really bad in it and he has a lot of the fun like whoa like I'm on Tinder, but I'm embarrassed about it. Kind of like, you know, stuff like that. And it was, just, he was just really bad. He was just I don't really... go anywhere without Mr. Whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> Nate gives him a cat at one point. Yeah, it was just really bad. And a lot of it's really kind of, for a movie like this, if they're going to go for the body element, a lot of it's really um, crucial is the chemistry between them. And I thought to- yeah. Holland 
He's he was not charismatic. My, he, he's not my Nathan Drake, but he's he's charismatic. He's 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 Peter Parker as Nathan Drake, essentially. He's just doing the Tom Holland thing, but he was good in it. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it looked like he was putting effort into it. He badmouthed his own performance um, months ago, and I, I think that was probably just anxiety because he was good. He was fine. It's anything. Any problem with the film is not really his fault. Yeah, that, I think that's fair. You know, what's what kind of sums up a lot of this for me, Liam, is actually this morning I was I was on a popular site that the kids might know called YouTube. And I was watching a interview with uh, Tom Holland, uh, Ruben Fleischer, our good friend, uh, Neil Druckmann. Um, and mm. I believe um, one of the writers of the movie. And I was watching this and it was, you know, you, you get, you get that real insight. Obviously Neil Druckmann, he co-directed Uncharted four. And I believe yeah. he had worked on some of the previous games. Um, he, was or Holland was speaking about how him and uh, Marky Mark had improved a lot of their lines. So a really? lot of that quip, yeah. So a lot of the quips that you were you were speaking about, that was all improv. And Ruben Fleischer was like, "Yeah, you know, it was, it was you know great being on set and seeing you guys like really work off each other." And then Neil Druckmann comes in, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, that's how um uh Nolan North and uh, Richard McGonagall, the you know the mocap and the voices of of Nate and Sully in in the video games." It was like, yeah, you know, they improved a lot of their lines on on the studio stage, and then the director of the movie turns to the one of the creators of the game and goes, "Oh, really? I didn't know that happened." <laughs> I think that's that fucking sums it up perfectly. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think it feels like a movie that was made by a committee mm-hmm. and a uh, a committee that couldn't get on the same page about what they wanted. You know what they really wanted the movie to be, because it was neither, it was neither buddy buddy, nor was it f- like as adventure driven and as you know puzzly kind of thing. It wasn't like National Treasure where Nicolas Cage is just running around really fucking tired trying to steal the Declaration of Independence, uh, would, which was a better movie in my opinion. There, there were some puzzles. Can I just interject for one second? Because I just thought of another really dumb moment, and actually, I, I'm glad you reminded me of it. Tom Holland finds from from um, postcards from his lost brother. He discovers the final clue that this cross, two crosses he has, work as compasses on a map. And if you put them together, you can join them together and pinpoint the exact location on the map of where the treasure is. is. It, yeah, working the other way. Yeah, working the other way, and he points them together. But maps are. They're quite, you know, they're quite big. The, the world's quite big. They're quite far off. These two chunky crosses can't point to a single cave. They're pointing, to, right? And not only that, he goes there then, right? And the villains, oh, the villains have gone the wrong, they're going to the wrong location because Tom Holland has discovered the real location with his secret compasses. And then he's driving through the cave. But the villains happen to be driving by on their boat and see him go on his people towards the cave and go, wait a second, where is he going? And then they follow him. I thought they were supposed to be in another part of the world looking in, looking for the treasure in the wrong place. You're, you're completely correct. And, but they're just, they're just over there. Correct. They're just over there, like, near enough to see him go the other direction and go, help, we're going the wrong way. I, I didn't understand. It's, it is really like the worst Indiana, Indiana Jones movie you can think of, you know, that kind of genre. You're completely and 100% correct. And, it, you know, that also reminded me of, and I fucking burst out laughing as well, which is when Chloe um, and Tom Holland's Nathan Drake they land in the water and then she turns around and is like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And it turns out to be a fucking luxury resource. Yeah. With, with Nolan North. Nolan North. Uh, yeah. 
the voice actor for mm. Nathan, uh, the actor for Nathan Drake, to what you think of his cameo. It made me smile. It made you me made wish me we could smile. just stay with him. Like the camera yeah. shouldn't follow Tom Holland. Stay with Nolan North. I'm just like he, like he's a bit old, like, but he he could play a live action Nathan Drake, an older Nathan Drake. He could do it. Like, I was I was watching uh, Modern Family the other day. Okay, uh, good show, quite funny actually. Okay, and uh, season one, uh, Nolan North is purchasing a house from Phil. I was like, that's fucking Nolan North, man. It's Nolan North. So, was this before or after he became like the most sought after voice actor in in the gaming industry? When, I'd say, when, yeah. It was coinciding probably in around yeah. the first game, I would say. My God. But I liked that cameo anyway. It was a bit on the nose, but I, at that point I was starving for entertainment. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> Look, I I don't recommend it. No, me neither. Um, fans, you know, fans or non-fans. Fans of films shouldn't go see it. Yeah, fans I of think. films shouldn't go see it. Um, that And see, Liam, I think you kind of kind of inadvertently probably you know said it perfectly is fans of films probably won't like it <laughs> fans of tom holland you might enjoy it might enjoy it and he, gets, um, he takes his top off he does some topless stuff he does <laughs> i actually uh, that's another scene where i was i actually said out loud like are you like why there there was a scene where he was in his apartment just doing fucking pull-ups you know, the, and all, the, all the marvel movies as well there's always one scene where like even Paul Rod Ant Man, there's always a top of the scene. There's always buff yeah. dudes in, in action movies, and I well, and I'm happy for it. Own, give some women some eye candy some for some time, you know. Oh yeah, of course. There you go. Um, you know, Goonies never say die, Liam. Goonies never say die. I, it's don't. not as good as Goonies, and that's I think what we were going to the whole time. Uncharted movie could have been modern Goonies, but instead it's <laughs> modern Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider. <laughs> Uh, so the other movie um to which i saw in cinemas i watched uh, i watched two-thirds of it last night and a third of it half an hour before we recorded this podcast (laughs) (laughs) is resident evil welcome to raccoon city welcome raccoon city um (laughs) you know like I don't even know where to begin with this one. <laughs> I can. I, I'm going to begin on a positive note. Okay, this is essentially an adaptation of. No, do you know what? Stopping myself again. When we did our first video game movie adaptations, we actually we talked about a lot of movies. But weirdly enough, we didn't get to the Resident Evil movies, and that's one of the biggest um, long-running video game adaptation franchises. There was like how many six movies with Mila Jokovic yeah. by Paul W S Anderson, and they're mostly shit, right? Are you posing a question? I'm posing a question. Yeah, sorry. That, they are, I remember seeing the first one in the cinema and going, "That wasn't bad, but it wasn't very good." And then they got progressive. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen all of them, but they got progressively worse. You're you're correct, and that, that was a franchise that you know really just went in its own direction, taking inspiration from from the games. Yeah. So the fir- the first one was very much its own thing. It was set in it had umbrella, it had zombies, uh, but it kind of it, it kind of it's not a great movie, but it did its own thing to the point where there's one iconic sequence in it with the laser grid cutting people up that they even, the games ended up putting that in Resident Evil 4, um, apes that sequence. And so the movie kind of actually inspired the game. But I remember at the time, I was quite young at the time when the younger, I was thinking, oh man, why is Miljakovic's Alice in this? I want to see the, the characters from the games. I want to see Chris and Jill and Leon and Claire. And then when they started putting them into it, I was like, oh, I don't want to see them. You know, as soon as they're actually in the movies and they just look all kind of like cheap cosplay and the characters aren't quite right. But as that franchise went on, they started 
taking more like Wesker came into it as one of the main villains and they even like ended up copying a straight up copying a sequence from Resident Evil 5 an action sequence a cutscene but making it really worse and it's one of the funniest action sequences you've ever seen it's like Wesker teleporting around dodging bullets on it's so funny oh yeah it's so funny but what I'm leading to is I think there was a time in my life when I wanted to see them adapt Resident Evil straight from the games but that time was a long time ago now I realize you know that it wouldn't work after watching Resident Evil Raccoon, Welcome to Raccoon City, I know it wouldn't work. But that's what this movie is. It's a adaptation. It's a kind of amalgamation of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2. It's a zombie outbreak in Raccoon City and a kind of the zombie outbreak in the Spencer Mansion up in the mountains near the city, um, kind of mushed into one narrative. And I will begin with my only positive, where I didn't think they did a... I, I thought they did an okay job kind of pushing those two stories together and getting the main characters... Or like establishing Chris, Jill, Claire, and Wesker, or whoever. Like some characters are nothing like they are in the games. Like Wesker, especially Leon, especially. But um, fuck, fuck. <laughs> but I thought the setup was okay. If you're trying to adapt the games, because these are video games at the end of the day, you know, uh, Resident Evil One is walking slowly around a mansion, solving puzzles and shooting one zombie in a room. You're not going to be able to get that into a movie, um, you know, one for one. I thought they did an okay job. My main problem with this movie, movie is just execution. Execution, execution. It's, it's a bad horror film. It's a bad zombie film. The acting is really bad. And it's really, really boring while watching two halves. <laughs> but I will give them credit. I think in terms of the things they changed, I thought they did a good job setting up an adaptation of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2. It's just everything's a train wreck from then on. You know, Re- Resident Evil is an interesting one. You know, I I'd actually tend to disagree about how you can translate it into uh, into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Resident Evil is also very interesting because as a genre of video games, it has changed so drastically since you know Resident it, Evil One. It, so it evolves, it changes. It's great. It's great big, that way, big time. So you know, I, but I think what comes with that is you know what do you want from Resident Evil? And I think Resident Evil means a lot of different things um, to people. I think, you know, Resident Evil to me truly is less about the action and far more about the atmosphere and survival horror. You know, one of the best experiences I had last year was the Resident Evil 2 remake. That game was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrifying. I agree. And it was all, it was all because of uh, atmosphere. Um, and my big thing with this, and I and I agree with you, Liam, in terms of, you know, I I think there were some really there was some really good iconography uh, in this movie. I think they they like established the look and the f- like the feel, the initial feel anyway, of the two main locations, which are characters within those games, really well. Um, you know, I think it's the first time, um, in a maybe like a video game adaptation that I can think of where, you know, when they enter those locations i'm like oh shit yeah no this is this is what i imagined it would look like if i was if i was watching the, yeah, the movie you're talking about the, the, the spencer mansion and the raccoon yeah. police station yeah they look yeah look exactly like the games which is good yeah yeah Agreed. um but you know everything else that happens around that um was kind of poo poo um <laughs> you know i and i just don't this movie in particular what really threw me off was I didn't know what it I didn't know what genre I was trying to be or what it was trying to evoke. I didn't know if it was genuinely 
you know what? Like, you know, this had a $25 million budget. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm not going to throw that. That's like nothing by to today's yeah. standards. So for all intents and purposes, is it a B movie? Hmm. But at the same time, you know, Resident Evil is such a a genre um, and an A property when it comes to video games. I think my ex- expect- expectation was to see that on screen. So what I was given was, you know, I enjoyed some of the B movie moments, but then it was also super jarring when a fucking zombie is on fire in the fucking RPD <laughs> station. And I, what's a, do you remember what song was playing? It's that song, um, it's just a little crush. Oh, fuck. Do you know that song? And it's playing as a, a burning zombie walks through Raccoon City Police Department while Leon is uh, lazily listening to headphones at, at the desk. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Because the, the Resident Evil old games are such, you know, they're known for their clunky dialogue and their B-movie vibe. So is this movie intentionally trying to be really silly and ridiculous is that like that that song choice but i kind of didn't get the vibe that it's all intentional yeah that's the thing and and, and that's where i'm like i'm completely divided like i'm it made me think of for better or for worse it made me think of that time we watched house of the dead (laughs) 2 yeah yeah house of the dead one is more more famous bad movie b movie but we're connoisseurs. You got to watch House of the Dead too, as well, <laughs> equally as funny. It's, it's a hidden gem of bad movies. But you know, it, it was the same thing. Is like, do they know that this is actually <laughs> as bad as as it is? I, the impression I got with that movie back in the day is that no, and that's why it's much funnier. You know? Yeah, and you know that's that's where I'm like, I'm stuck between this rock and the hard place with Welcome to Raccoon City. Is like, did yeah. they know that what they were doing here translates to something that's really bad? But at the same time. If I had a couple of cans in me, I'd probably be laughing yeah. and enjoying this. Yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't feel like a movie. Like I, I watched it last night and some today. I kind of wish I didn't watch it alone. Yeah, it would have been f- maybe fun to watch it with you, watch it with Marcy. You know, like, it, 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 we could have watched the movie under the wrong. I, because I, I, I generally went in going, now this, this is not Paul W. S. Anderson. Now they're adapting the games properly. They're bringing all the iconic characters. They're adapting the first two games. I went in with that attitude. It might have been the wrong way. I should have just went. Resident Evil, it might take the gameplay out of Resident Evil. What you got? You got cheesy B movie schlock. So and why? Because that's, that's pretty much so what this funny. Movie, yeah, pretty because much that's what I've be. been thinking about. Yeah, that's that's actually what I've been thinking about. You know, uh, Resident Evil Eight. I haven't played it. It's been on my mind because I want to play it on on PS Five, right? But that, for whatever reason, the the OG opening of actually, why it was on my mind is because I fucking went and bought resident evil one remake on my switch yeah. after yeah. watching this movie yeah and then it got me thinking of the original original opening which was the actual you know, car- live, act- you know car- the yeah. li- live actors and i'm like yes this is a homage to fucking <laughs> b movies stupidity mm. yeah but my- it's not as fun though <laughs> i don't know there's something about it. it's not as fun my favorite character of and you know i think it's it's worth touching on some of the characters but my favorite character was um uh, Chief Brian Irons, Irons yeah, because he was uh, like he was everything out of every fucking buddy cop movie. I can't believe like, he didn't. Uh, I can't believe he didn't say it's election season or something. You know, I'm running for DA. You're not trying this in my office. 
you know <laughs> just talk about someone who was so well actually leon was so incompetent at his job but the fucking yeah. chief of the, the raccoon <laughs> police department was like unreal like absolutely unreal and and that's what i mean it's like i watched that performance by um what's his name again neil no not neil mcdonough the guy, from, Logue. Ter- the guy from terriers terriers right? yeah. yeah oh yeah, terriers what a fucking a show, hidden man. gem hidden gem um don't log and he's a really good actor but it yeah. almost seemed like he was the only person who kind of knew yeah. what movie Chef. he was in. Yeah, he kind of knew what movie, yeah. Because he's just <laughs> yelling, he's just angry the entire time. And it was actually because this movie uh, is um, true to the games. It's set, it's set in 1998. And um, the, like like that song choice we just talked about a while ago, um, it, there's a lot of really blatant, this is set in the late 90s moments, but my absolute favorite is that Chief Wesker, uh, during a briefing, Wesker gets a text, which is like a mysterious because Wesker is a secret bad guy. He, he, actually, it's not a text. It's on his beeper. His beeper, it's yeah. It's And um, <laughs> the chief just goes, what's wrong, Wesker? You got a hot day tonight? Why don't you take her, why don't you take her, rent a video on Blockbuster or go for a meal in Planet Hollywood? And it's just like, how many more 90s references can you rattle off in one rant? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my god and that's the thing right Every, everyone else around him just kind of played it so so yeah. seriously and like again <laughs> do the wesker scene where is it some child or someone shoots him in the head <laughs> with a like a little darts <laughs> you know jill jill does jill shoots him in the is head. that what it is oh my god i'm just watching this going that's albert wesker yeah, so like t- these iconic characters. Let's set up the scene for anyone who's played the games. Leon, who's the new rookie, is asleep on a diner counter because he's because he's he's a bad cop. Wesker rests a ketchup bottle on his head and bets Jill Valentine. I bet you can't. Uh, I bet you can shoot. I bet you can't. And shoot this is that the introduction. Right? This is the introduction, this is the introduction, introduction all to all the characters. I bet you yeah. can't shoot that bottle of ketchup off his head. And then Jill Valentine says something like, uh, "Oh, I'll use my real gun." And he's like, "No, use this toy gun." But then she shoots Wesker instead. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> "Wow!" Like I'm. Mo- I'm really a fan. I-, I love Resident Evil's iconography and its world and its characters. But I am more a fan of the gameplay. I. But I, I if you're any way a fan of these characters, you must be like, "Oh God, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> what's happening?" It just carries on to, you know, it carries on to Leon, right? Which is so, f- like, again, this is just so weird. He's and arguably so the most popular play. character, which is why it's so weird. I say Leon might be the most popular character from this franchise. So you should try yep. to get him right, you know, because you can get you can get a lot of people butts in the seat for it with a good Leon, you know? And boy, oh boy, did they go the opposite he, direction. They changed his character completely. Le- Leon is either a well-meaning himbo in Resident Evil 2 or like a, a badass one-liner one-liner spouting action star in like Resident Evil 4 he, in, this, in this he's like really lazy and incompetent and um, but do you, like do you know what's so weird is like the level of incompetence is never <laughs> fully addressed so there's a scene where they're in this um, him and Jill um, I think it is they're in this like stored. Uh, no, it might have been Claire. It was Claire. Claire, yeah. And Claire is super bad. I thought Claire was a bit of a highlight, you know, of, of this movie. Uh, I thought she F- was Effie fine. from Skins. What's that actress's name again? Kaya something. She was good. Um, yeah, I, I can't even pronounce her last name. So Effie, Effie from Skins. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're in this like storage locker where they're fucking like getting weapons and shit. And she throws Leon a shotgun, right? Uh, let me preface this guy's still a trainee but he is a paid 
officer <laughs> of the raccoon police department and he doesn't know how to load a shotgun and like it's it's they try to make it a bit of a gag and then he has a line where he's like bet you're wondering how i became a cop eh yeah and uh she's like yeah actually i am he goes yeah me too <laughs> brilliant stuff and it's like well no like this man is meant to be protecting this this town and he's clearly not fit for the job <laughs> could be true to life owned could be some fucking some uh putting a magnifying glass on american culture there you know you know what i'm saying that, resident evil welcome to raccoon uh, city has more in its mind than you thought well yeah because this is also the character who within his first introduction says the f word probably 50 times <laughs> <laughs> but can i talk can i talk about things that are lifted directly from yep. the games for a second and um because i think they butchered two of my favorite um, horror moments from Resident Evil or horror ideas. Because I think Resident Evil is not Silent Hill. Resident Evil is more, for the most part, it's more kind of, you know, dogs jumping through windows. It's like we said, B-movie schlock horror. Yeah. But uh, two things that they took was Lisa Trevor, which is a monster from the Resident Evil 1 remake. And she's like really tragic. She's, she was a poor girl who was experimented on years and years before. And she's uh, turned into this kind of, creature dragging chains and she's rattling around um the mansion and she's genuinely one of the scariest things they've ever put into um into resident evil and but what's scary about her as well is that she's kind of tragic she's like she's really sad and you kind of have to kill her to put out her misery they put her in it she's in an orphanage where claire grew up instead of the mansion but they made her kind of an ally which it takes i know i know she's kind of a, a sympathetic character because you know she's a victim but that's what's scary about the original monsters that is that she's a victim is that you know you kind of feel bad about killing her but she is terrifying and as, mu- as much references there are to the games what made me realize that the guy making this written and directed credit and in, in, in the credits maybe doesn't really have a handle on what's truly good about resident evil is the moment when you get lisa trevor wrestling a liquor <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and it's like oh no this is all wrong like liquors like liquors are one of the most iconic resident evil monsters it's good that there's one in it lisa trevor i think is one of the best underrated kind of resident evil monsters i don't i didn't want to see them fight each other that's not something, that's not something i want out of my resident evil um movies the other one man was in resident evil 2 actually i'll go with the movie first in in, in resident evil welcome to raccoon city the movie there's a bit where claire is wandering around i think it's chris's house and a woman turning into a zombie outside the window appears with a jump scare and she's written itchy tasty on the glass in her own blood. Yeah. And that's pointless. Like, that means nothing, but that is a reference to the games. And one of my favorite moments in the game is when you find a diary of, from a guy who's turning into a zombie and his brain is going as he's writing the diary and he's starting to realize that his own flesh tastes good and it just ends with itchy tasty. One of Resident Evil's genuinely most unsettling things they ever did. But by paying hollow lip service to it, in the in the movie in some nonsensical way it, it, it just as a fan of the game and he, and you only put these things in for the fans of the game i just kind of rolled my eyes i was like why bother it doesn't make any why is she writing itchy tasty in the glass you know it doesn't make yeah. any sense i just it it felt like hollow to me um the other one actually <laughs> just reminded as i was talking was um there's a famous like bad line from resident evil one oh where, where uh, barry saves jill from a, a, a collapsing yep. roof and goes, you were almost a Jill sandwich. And they fucking managed to get it into the movie. <laughs> like Jill takes a fucking burger out of um, Wesker's hands and goes, this Wesker's is Jill's. Here. Yeah, this is Jill sandwich now. I was oh like, my oh, God. God, my skin, itchy, tasty. Ugh. I know. And see, and 
I want to just quickly touch on a scene that I actually really, really liked and oh, it perked me up during the movie. And I was like, oh, you know, th- this is what has been like really lacking, um, which is someone who's kind of instilling a bit of, you know, directorial nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a somewhat it's the it's the introduction of of the liquor before Lisa comes in. Yep. And I'm watching this and I'm like, I believe they're in the it's either the or, they're in the orphanage or the school at that they're stage. They're in the orphanage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it's um it's Claire and Leon and you know it's it's kind of you could say directing 101 at this stage, but it's you know it's effective use of all of the elements of of good filmmaking, which is you know, sound, lighting, and relying on the uh, reactions of your of your actors, um, and you know, simple but effective. You don't see the liquor, um, but you know, it's a like wide shot of a corridor, and essentially, it's silence and like the just the lights in sequence starts to begin to go out and swing. Yeah, as if um, it's walking above it. Yeah. As if it's walking above them, and I was like, you know, I knew you know being a fan of the game what you know what was yeah. coming mm-hmm. but i was like you know that is actually like that is some good camera work that is you know kind of frightening it instilled a bit of fear into me and then as you said lisa comes along <laughs> and fucking king kong's <laughs> yeah t-rex opens the like the liquor's mouth no, which yeah exactly. just like utterly yeah. ridiculous but like i i mentioned briefly earlier on like you got to get zombies right to make a zombie movie work and the beginning of this movie really annoyed me after the it begins in a flashback with Claire and Chris as kids. But after that, it opens with Claire hitchhiking, um, after hitchhiking a truck. Actually, it begins the most awkward way possible. It's the most, yeah. it's the most um, clumsy exposition that she wakes up from a nap and the, the trucker who she's with is like, Oh, you're having a nightmare. Where'd you say you were going again? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Raccoon city. <laughs> that place hasn't been the same ever since umbrella left. it. don't know why you'd want to go there. Uh, and, just, and then after that, there's a fucking text crawl explaining the exact same thing. Oh, Raccoon City uh, used to be run by Umbrella. But and it's like, oh, that's so, so bad. Like, that's, yeah. that's so bad. But they hit a woman. It's it's, it's zombie move, movie making 101. It's the most stereotypical ever. They hit a person. The trucker is freaking out. He's like, oh, God, I killed someone. We, we They don't see it, but we see the person get up because she's a zombie. And immediately I was angry because she wanders off. I'm like, no, you got to get zombie. The zombie wouldn't wander off. It would go for them while their back is turned because it wants to eat their flesh. But no, the zombie, she wanders off into the woods so she can stare menacingly at Jill from the woods and then uh, cut the title of Resident Evil. And I was immediately like, oh, no. they like He kind of trod all over the kind of established rules of zombies just to make this kind of set up this kind of cool looking shot. And for me, the whole movie, in terms of being a horror, completely lost its footing from that point on. And I don't think they ever felt like zombies. They kept no. There's a bit where I think it's Chris is on the ground and he keeps lighting a light. He can't flicker a lighter and he's lighting up a room and he, the lighter keeps going out. And every time he gets the, the fire up, a zombie is closer to him. But then he gets it up one time and the zombie has disappeared and it's ended up behind him. And I'm like, how did it get there? How did that zombie, <laughs> <laughs> zombie just teleport behind him? That's really dumb. So I think outside of just being a Resident Evil adaptation, it's a really bad zombie movie as well, you know? Yeah, no, I wholly agree. You know, I think that I want to you know, round out this conversation by mm-hmm. just explaining the, the highlight of the movie for me. Even more than um, the liquor going across the roof. Yes. And that <laughs> is when Wesker sat down at the piano and uh, yeah, another reference to the game. Sim- yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know what? 
I if agree. you committed to this, <laughs> if you just committed to this, they got then it. I we they can have some someone, fun here. Yeah, they managed to get someone in the movie adaptation to sit down at a pan- piano and play Moonlight Sonata to open a secret entrance. And I'm like, do you know what? I'll give you that one. That's okay. But yeah, like you said, it's not a, not really enough, is it? No, actually, and that totally re- uh, it reminds me. Sorry, I I have to bring it up, which was the stupid fucking um, love arc of um jill jill, was it jill being in love with yeah jill, jill come Wesker, on jill wesker chris love triangle yes yeah, come dumb. on now what you think of um neil mcdonough you've met him in real life haven't you yeah neil is a very very nice man he's a big fan of uh writer's tears the whiskey which he uh put me on to um <laughs> and it is good. one of one of my go-tos now um yeah you know um i hope that he enjoyed his time in ontario when he filmed it I mean, he was. He's, in terms of iconic video game villains, like he he's played he's played um, M Bison in Legend of Chun Li, Street Fighter Legend of Chun Li. Now he's played William Birkin in Resident Evil. Like he was fine. Though. Like he was doing his thing. And they, he they was one him of the guys group. in Captain America. He was one of the guys in Captain America. But that was another thing. If there's anything that kind of exemplifies how the, the, the kind of half speed this movie goes on and kind of being a good Resident Evil movie is that when William Birkin turns into a monster, his shoulder eye isn't big enough. And that's just me being a, a fan of the games. Like they, they couldn't even give him a gigantic eye; it's just not big enough. And I'm like, no, that's it. That's the per- pause. This is exactly everything that's wrong with the movie. <laughs> the eye I isn't re- big enough. I I could be completely mistaken, but I feel like I remember Birkin or someone just doing a shitty line at the end during that like final action. Yeah, well, because there's kind of a they've added a kind of a father son thing between William Birkin and Chris. Uh, Birkin kind of raised him. So as he's turning into a monster, he's like, Chris, how did you think I could ever love someone like you and all that? And then at the end, then when he's kind of turned and he's dying on the ground, um, he goes like, Chris, my son. And Chris goes, shut the fuck up and shoots him in the head. <laughs> but he comes back later on the train, exactly the same as Resident Evil 2. He turns into a really bad CGI monster. And um, true to Resident Evil games, um, he gets blown up by a rocket launcher. Leon, Leon gets the... Gets the moment. I think he says a one-liner as well. But honestly, I was gone by that point. I wasn't paying attention <laughs> to any, any lines that was happening. Oh my god! Um, how many? What's your star rating, Liam? I would give Uncharted. 10. I would give Uncharted two point five. I would give Resident out of ten. No five. Oh, out of five. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> two, two, two point five out of five, or two out of five? So I'm gonna give it. I'll, I'll give them both two out of five. I think. I think they're, yeah, they're, they're both they're both bad in different ways. I think Uncharted might be better, but it, what do you think? Um, I'd give Uncharted a two out of five, and yeah. I would you know I'd give I'd give the same to to, Resi- <laughs> yeah. to, to Resident Evil. Um, but if I was if I was having you know beers with the boys, yeah, that's a, um, yeah. I'm ta- I I think a Resident Evil could jump its way up to like a three point five for the fun factor. Yeah. Do you think these are both perfect examples of the fact that games a lot of the time do not need it to be adapted anymore? Because like you brought up the Resident Evil 2 remake on, which is a perfect thing to kind of say, do we need an adaptation into a movie? Like we look at that old PS1 game and you imagine what it looks like. The remake is a modern uh, depiction of the zombie outbreak in Raccoon City and it's way more atmospheric and engaging than you can like than the movie. Like, do we need a movie of this when we have this amazing modern game? I don't think you do really like. No, uh, yeah, I, it's a it's a it's a tough one. Um, you know, my the only counter argument I would have for that is, 
you know, there's obviously there's a barrier of entry to video games. Um, and I want there to be a vessel for people outside of video games to be able to experience, you know, this story. What about let's play, watching Let's Players or something? Watching something yeah, on Twitch. My dad's not going to sit down and be like... <laughs> okay, touche. You know, because <laughs> you know, like two things come to mind, right? And, um, you know, they're quite recent. One is Netflix has announced its Bioshock movie adaptation. And, you know, I think Bioshock is, you know, is grounds for something really mature something that's really story driven that that world is amazing well what you need and, to do yeah what you need to do and what what they definitely should do and what i think a good video game adaptation should do is with the different medium now don't just tell the story of yes. man going on lighthouse and ending up down in rapture tell the story of rapture you can you can do flashbacks you can do whatever you can completely um yeah. flesh out this world that's what they need to do so I feel like so I wholly agree, um, and you know I you could call it a bit of bias, but I've followed the production quite closely. But the the Last of Us, which is being adapted for HBO, um, a couple of things. One is it's HBO, um, <laughs> and it's a series, right? Yeah. So you're you're on the right network. Uh, you've hit um, the you know potential right tonality of what that's going to be. You know, two is who's behind it yeah and there was a noticeable lack and i don't know if you saw it on you know discourse on the internet or anything but like there's a with the two things that we just spoke about in resident evil uncharted especially uncharted there was a noticeable lack of the original creators giving you know any bit of praise or input or anything like that but if you go and look at you know neil Druckmann's, you know um twitter or his instagram one he is writing the last of us so you know the original creator and two um he's doing his first live action directorial with it and the way he describes it again is like there needs to be a purpose beyond what just reiterating reiterating what the the video game is and he said that season one of the last of us will be see uh, the first game but we're going to get more of that world right and Perfect. The, the, yeah. that world is rich and secondly it's like you know when i hear someone speak about what it's like what it's going to be in terms of like the tone in which you're watching you know Druckmann has described it as i think it's you know i, I think it's one of hbo's it is hbo's i could be mistaken on this most expensive um, show most expensive yes, show yes yeah yes ever yeah Druckmann has described it as this is going to look and feel like an indie movie. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, you know, I, that, what that means to me is like, you're getting something raw and you're getting, you know, you, you'll have the high production in the zombies and the world and stuff. Um, but you're right, Liam. I think you need to, I think as long as you capture the characters correctly, but you build upon and tell the story of the world, which I don't think that has been done, you know, in, incredibly, incredibly well so far. Um, hopefully we'll we'll start seeing i I think a really good example of recent one in its animation was was arcane which i talked about before and arcane is not based on um a game i've played but what i've what from what i understand it's a prequel to the games so they took characters and the world and just set an era players hadn't seen before and i think that's another good way to adapt something is just kind of adapt a part of the world or part of the timeline someone hasn't seen and um i went into arcane without knowing the games and i loved it like i i absolutely adored it so 
I think rather than having itchy tasty written on the glass so game fans can go oh uh, yeah that's from the game I think you should just have it stand on its own you know yeah 100% um and still to this day I um the biggest like misstep that Sony made really was letting um Travis McKnight who directed in my opinion what is the best video game adaptation of not a video game movie oh yeah what was um, it uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. I love Kubo and Two Strings. Yeah, it's basically Zelda. Is that what you're saying? It's basically it, it, yeah, Zelda. It, it's structured like a Zelda game and quests and stuff of like that, except it's a movie. Yeah. Well, if you want to go see a or watch a movie that is a masterpiece and is kind of like Zelda, but not Zelda, go watch Kubo and the Two <laughs> Strings. Um, Liam, this was great as Super always. Fun. Super fun. Uh, I, I put uh, money towards this one, so I'm glad it turned out well. <laughs> <laughs> I've paid for these films. I've paid for these films. <laughs> and that was your mistake. Um, you know, just want to give a shout out to all of the uh, the listeners who have stuck with us uh, to this point. Um, as Liam said, we're losing money on, uh, on this. <laughs> oh my god it's so true when you put it that way i don't like it uh uh, we're losing money on this podcast but we of course um continue to enjoy that's my favorite doing it for ourselves but two doing it for uh all of you guys um you know uh, the continued support is amazing so please continue to like and share and um keep downloading those episodes you know anyone who might be interested in listening share with them fucking tell them airdrop it just airdrop it liam it was a pleasure sir i look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks me Um, also maybe we can talk about some um video games Uh, that's that's what we do that's that's what happens usually to everyone out there this has been hey look listen i've been owen reardon and i'm liam sheehan thank you so much talk you soon Bye bye bye